0: Uh, I want to first start by uh, thanking a group of churches in Canada called The Meeting House who have um, shared some of their resources they've put together for her story, and uh, they're an Anabaptist church movement, a house church movement, and have done a really um, great job of addressing some hot topics um, in a uh, in a great way. So I just want to say, first and foremost, thank them for that. Um, if we haven't had a chance to meet, my name is Amber Carroll, and I am uh, one of the pastors here at the church. And um, I am glad to be here with you today talking about her story, Jesus, women in the church. And so um, if you didn't know, that's what you were coming here today to learn. Surprise! We're... <laughs> Glad you're here, and I'm a woman, and I'm the pastor, so surprise again. Okay, Um, so uh, some of those quotes of if you've been in in the church for any amount of time or studied church history are some of the most well-known Christian theologians and leaders of our time. Um, Their uh, thoughts and beliefs and understanding of Scripture has um, been hurtful and led to the exclusion of half of the image of God Half of the image hasn't been allowed to come and exegete and understand God's holy word. And so the church is in crisis and the world has suffered because of it. And so the church is called to speak up for injustice. And so that's what we're going to do boldly. And so I ask for your grace and your prayers as we dive into this. This morning, I was called to this church body in August 2016. We're coming up on three years, and um, this topic of a female leader as a pastor has been um, in controversy, even in this in this church before I got here. Um, people left the church over the idea of a woman leading in in the church, and so um, it's a real thing. And I've heard people say since I've been here, like, really? People believe that? And it's, and, and they do, and they do. And so we're going to address it here. I've sat through several Hope 101 classes with people who've come to learn more about our church and what we stand for. And questions have been really just discerning, what it's how do you come at scripture and believe this with a wanting to understand? And then there's others of, of, of many of you in here who say, teach me what scripture says so that I can have an informed view and a, and a respect for the word of God. And so that's what I'm hoping to do over the course of this series. And I think it's gonna be very, very good if you enter into this with us. So are you ready? Yeah, okay, you might wanna get like pen and paper and I don't, okay, so it's about Jesus and the Bible and the church and are men and women equal in the eyes of God? And um, the way that we think about women and girls Matters, and I want us for a minute to get outside of our own space and our own heads. You know, you live here in El Dorado or in Kansas, but I want you to think globally, big picture, because we are part of the local expression, the little c of the larger church, the big c, the global church, and the status and uh, the status of women and girls in our world today is something that we should be aware of. Uh, There's a pastor uh, that I follow in 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 California. His name is John Ortberg, and he was speaking on this topic at the beginning of this year, and he gave some of these um, statistics, and I wanted to share with you. In 1990, so as we look at scripture, we think that this was um, for back then, a time long ago, but I just want to throw out a couple things. In 1990, uh, an essay was written entitled, More Than 100 Million Women Are Missing, and it was talking about gender imbalance in China, India, and elsewhere. And then 20 years later, another article was written, and it was, it was entitled, Unnatural Selection, Choosing Boys Over Girls, and the Consequences of a World Full of Men. And it noted that in Asia alone, there is an imbalance of 163 million males over females. And the reason, reason for that is that in those cultures, when a woman when, when the, the baby inside of a woman is, is uh, decided that it is going to be a girl, she is more likely to be aborted or abandoned or left in the elements to die. Poor families who can't afford, uh, rich families who can't afford to um, buy the right child, uh, the right bride for their son uh, will go to poor families and they'll sell their daughters to the richer families. And sex trafficking is um, rampant. Um, Girls and women are more likely to experience sexual and physical violence and abuse throughout the world. In developing countries, one in four girls are uh, less likely to even earn a primary education. So I think it's something that we should be concerned about. I think we should pay attention to this. So if you're new to this whole church thing and you don't know what you believe and you've, you've read about polygamy in the Bible and, and um, women being submissive and quiet to their husbands and you're thinking, why would anyone believe that? I'm really glad you're here. And then if you've grown up in a tradition that says women should be submissive and quiet and, and, um, and, and take that kind of role in the home and in the church, I'm glad you're here because I think we can learn together. Hope Covenant Church is a part of a larger denomination called the Evangelical Covenant Church, and one of the affirmations that we hold is to the centrality of the Word of God. And this is crucial. We believe that the Bible is the only perfect rule for faith, doctrine, and conduct. The dynamic and transforming power of the Word of God directs the church and the life of each Christian. We believe that the Bible rightly understood affirms an egalitarian community where men and women serve together in partnership in the home and in the church based on giftedness, not by gender. This best reflects God's intended purpose and plan for human flourishing. So that's where we're going to be headed with this series. A couple terms that I think will be helpful for you to to know if you haven't heard these before, uh, the word complementarianism and egalitarianism. So, uh, complementarianism is the belief that men and women are called to different and complementary roles within marriage and or the church life, including the idea that men can hold specific positions of authority in the church and family. So, for example, men are the head of the home and only men can be pastors, elders, and overseers. And egalitarianism is the belief that men and women, while different in complementary ways, are invited by God into equal opportunity for gifted leadership and service within marriage and or church life. So marriage is an equal partnership, and women can and should be pastors, pastors, elders, overseers alongside men. So we, we value the word of God, and when we come to the word of God for truth, we must remember to look at the whole context of what we're reading, and when we run into problems with interpretations of scripture, oftentimes it's when we pluck a passage out to, to use it to defend or support something we believe, and, and oftentimes we neglect the whole book, the whole book that it, in which it was settled, and that that book was settled within the whole Bible, 66 chapters, uh, 66 books in the Bible. So we ask this question, there must be something else going on. If if what we read is confusing or it doesn't seem to fit the character and nature of God that Jesus revealed, if it seems off, we have a responsibility to say there might be something else going on here. So let's take the Apostle Paul for example. We've talked about Paul. He's the leader. He was the leader of the church planting movement. He was called to bring the church to the Gentiles, making the gospel of Jesus accessible to all people. People who never had access to Jesus, never had access to this. It was what he was called to do. It is what he gave his life doing. He believed so strongly in this. And so when we address issues of leadership in the church, we look to the Apostle Paul for guidance. He was one of the primary writers of the New Testament and the story of the church. So we read in Galatians 3.28, he says, There is neither Jew nor Gentile, neither slave nor free, nor male or female, for you are all one, in Christ Jesus. Now a complementarian interpretation of this passage has been that yes we are all one in Christ Jesus of equal value and worth and they, they wouldn't deny that yes we are equal but functionally within the church and home men and women have different roles to play within that. So what do we do with this passage? I believe we say there must be something more going on. Why did Paul write the book of Galatians in the first place? And the book of Galatians wasn't just to teach that we are equal in value and worth. It was to teach that we also were equal in opportunity and privilege. Paul would not tolerate anyone saying, yes, I know that now Jews and Gentiles are equal and valuable and welcome, but only Jewish people can lead in the church. And same thing, he wouldn't, he wouldn't tolerate it if they said, uh, slave and free, yes, we all be in the church, but only the free people can lead. And the same thing for men and, and women. I don't think he would, I don't think he would have been okay with that. I believe Paul would say, you're missing the point of the whole book. So, during the rest of the time that we have together today, I'm going to lay the foundation for this series. Scripturally, what does the Bible teach us about gender relationships together in the church and in the home? We're going to look at four convictions for why we're doing this and uh, a case for egalitarianism. And then later, we're going to look at um, marriages that preach in prohibitive passages. It's just going to be all sorts of scandalous. I can't wait. Um, but a couple of things, if you could bring your Bible with you, if you have a Bible, bring it. Uh, we, we read from the NIV version primarily, and in 2011, the NIV was republished, um, as we grow in our knowledge of understanding Greek and Hebrew in the original text, we're just learning more as, as, um, as we just go along as, in humanity. Um, so the NIV after 2011 was, um, was updated, so we use that version, and also the NRSV. If you want to learn more about it, I can talk to you later. But you can bring your Bible. Also, the Bible app, the U Version app on your phone, is a is a free app if you have access to that, and a cool uh, resource. Life Church. Uh, put together they offer the U version they're also a part of the evangelical covenant church which we are a part of um we are able to put our bulletin that you got when you walked in digitally in the life app so if you go to our facebook page i put a link and then you can have access to what we're talking about here i've put some slides in there and stuff so feel free to do that and follow along if you want to and if you're traveling this summer and you're watching us um, live on Facebook, you can also follow along. I think it'll be cool. We'll, we'll see how it works. And if it doesn't work, blame Craig Grishel because it's his app. Just kidding. I'm just kidding, Craig. I don't know him. Like, I'm not on a first-name basis with Craig. Anywho, that's not in my notes. Shocking. Okay, so before we go any further, I want to talk about four convictions that are driving this series. And this is very Uh, Very important and very bold, so I feel uh, that we should start with this. I believe that um, believers have been wrong about barring women from leadership roles. Throughout the church history, uh, the majority of believers have been wrong. They have um, been wrong about inviting women to the table to interpret scripture. Just like we've been wrong about supporting slavery and widespread violence and more. And it's okay to say that we've been wrong in the past. A close look at church history, if anyone's followed church history, would say that many people have used the Bible to justify really terrible things. Can you think of any? Just raise your hand. Can you name any? Anyone? Holocaust. Holocaust. Yeah, what else? Say that. The Crusades. Slavery, when we founded America, wiped out entire, entire people groups of Native Americans who were here. So I think it's okay for us to look back and say we might have gotten some things wrong. Um, it's it's okay that we that we do that. Um, uh, number two, this exegesis error. Exegesis is the is the process of um, understanding and interpreting scripture, and unbiblical tradition has caused and continues to be the source of suffering within the body of Christ and beyond. It's caused blind spots and gaps in ministry in the body of Christ. And we have an opportunity as the church to bring um, truth in in a healthier way, a full way of what it means to be human. See, in the church, we've also perpetuated this idea of patriarchy, and that's where the male headship over all. And what we'll see here is that the patriarchy came as a result of the fall, not God's original design. Number three, it is vital that the church lead the way in repenting of this and do our part to embrace and teach a biblical worldview of women and leadership. This is for the present and the future health of the body of Christ. And until we repent, which, by the way, is good for us to do, Jesus gave us a great model to say, to just lay down our, um, our ideals if, if we are wrong and just say, we're sorry. It's good. It's okay. It's good for us to do this. And then number four, and this is very, very important. Those who hold restrictive views about women in leadership are not the enemy, but our dearly loved brothers and sisters in Christ. And while we must talk about this and we must address this, um, we must also simultaneously love and honor those who have different views of this. It's so easy for us to villainize people who have different ideals than we do. to to make them the other, to make them the bad guy. And I want to say here, people who hold a different view are not the bad guy. They are not the enemy. I would hate for... Uh, brothers and sisters at other churches who have a complementarian view of Scripture, or the Catholic Church, I would hate for them to look at Hope Covenant and say, "Oh, that church that has a woman pastor, they're just you know, they're just going with pop culture and what's popular this day. They don't care about Scripture." Because I would break my heart because it's because I love and value Scripture so deeply that I view uh, that this egalitarian view. That is why we do this. That would break my heart. Just as I believe it's equally as wrong to look down the street to another church or, and to say they have this um, chauvinistic view of, of scripture and they're clinging to these passages that are wrong. And, and um, I would hate for us to, to, to look at others and judge in that way. Let's honor and respect those who hold different opinions than us invite into those conversations to to gain mutual respect and understanding. But I just wanted to say that and know that that is the posture in which we come at this. That is my heart. And I pray that we are known as this community, as people who love people. We love others, not villainize them. It's just that some of us are right. So just kidding. Just kidding. Not really. Okay. Um, so, all those uh, quotes that we saw at the beginning are just examples of interpretations of Scripture where it's been men around the table interpreting what they read. And so how do we get there? The truth is, we come at the world with our own worldview. I, I cannot escape the fact that I am a white female who lives in the suburbs in Kansas in 2019. I see the world through that lens. I can't help it. It's who I am. And so if I were to design a system where all I did was surround myself with people just like me, and I read scripture, I would just see it through my own lens. And so when we don't invite people who are different than us, if we weren't, if we don't invite the other half of God's image to the table, we miss a lot, and we come up, we can come up with some really wacky ideas of Scripture. So today we're going to look at Romans 12, um, and if you have your Bible, you can open there, or your Bible app. Um, Romans 12 is one of the passages of Scripture that talks about the Holy Spirit and the gifts that the Holy Spirit gives to His people. And you'll find when you read passages like Romans and Corinthians and Ephesians, the gifts passages, when this Holy Spirit gives gifts to people, those gifts lists, there is no distinction in gender. It's not like men get some and women get some. The gifts of the Spirit are given based on the Spirit's deciding who who gets those gifts, not on the gender. So, as we look at these, I also want us to say we, we look at the, these gifts passages, but um, Romans was written at a time where there was this other backdrop happening in the world. So, what I do first, I want to zoom out and I want to go to um, look at this, we'll call it a positive case for um, uh, egalitarianism. So, a couple things. First, in the beginning, um, we are all equally made in God's image. Male and female represent the fullness of God, what it means to represent God. So God created mankind in his human image. In his image, he created them, male and female. Number two, men and women are called to be co-rulers over creation. And when you when you read on, once he created male and female, there's there, there are to rule together, let us make them in our image, and our likeness, so they may rule over. There's no hint of authority one over the other in this. Number three, um, men and women are co-sources of one another. In 1 Corinthians, Paul says, For as woman came from man, so also man is born of woman, but everything comes from God. When you go to the, the Genesis story, we see that Eve came out of Adam, but then ever after from that point on every single man comes from woman we are co-sources of each other in fact god chose a woman to bring jesus into the world so it's not about status or inferiority it's just about this beautiful story of being co-sources of one another's belonging to one another and we'll be spending more time in that in a few weeks eve becomes adam's helper not as a servant but from a position of power, it, God is often the same word that they're used for helpers to also um, refer to God throughout scripture as well. This is uh, the, um, the Lord God said, it's not good for a man to be alone. I'll make a helper suitable for him. See, but when you only have men around the table reading scripture, you know, we make ourselves the center of our stories, right? I mean, we should play the leading role in our own lives, Right? So if you have only men around Scripture and you read he needs a helper, you think um, he got an assistant or maybe like the skipper or you know, a caddy or something. Like That's how I would view that, and um, that is not what it was. The first mention of male authority over women is connected to the curse of the fall. Patriarchy is the backdrop, backdrop of the Bible. Because then we see after um, sin enters the world, he says to the woman, I'll make your pains in childbearing very severe with painful labor and we'll give, you will give birth to children. Your desire will be for your husband and he will rule over you. This is where the negative results of the fall will happen. But let's be careful. The, this idea of patriarchy was the result of the fall, not God's original design. Uh, Jesus brings a new covenant. When Jesus comes, he brings a new covenant and models relationship by laying down power, not assuming power over people. Very different from the way that the world set this up for us. Jesus invites teachers and equips women as disciples Throughout, uh, throughout the New Testament, you read of Jesus calling women and women being in the, origin, in, in the tribes that, uh, that follow him and are with him and supporting his ministry. They weren't part of the 12, original 12 disciples. Those were all Jewish men. There, were neither, there weren't any Gentiles as a part of the 12 either or slaves, part of the 12. There are a handful of passages that appear to be prohibitive, but when we read them closer... I think will reinforce egalitarian partnership. And so because we have uh, removed half of the image of God from interpreting and reading these scriptures, we have misunderstood them. And here's the list of them, which we will um, spend time in several weeks. John is going to be addressing those. The purpose today isn't to go in and and dismantle all those, but just for us to, to come, when we look at scripture and we come across passages that proved to be difficult or challenging, um, put them in the larger context of the greater narrative of that is going on in Scripture. So today, let's briefly, let's go to Romans 12, um, 1 uh, through 8. And uh, one of the core convictions of this is that um, by removing women from exegeting Scripture, we have missed the... um, intended purpose here so it says here therefore I urge you brothers and sisters in view of God's mercy to offer your bodies as living as a living sacrifice holy and pleasing to God this is your true and proper worship now this is the um, image of brothers and sisters as priests and then at that time priest was reserved for males but he said in 1 Peter 2, 9, he said, You are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into wonderful light. Priesthood, male and female alike. And it says, um, uh, we'll go back to that one. It says, Offer your bodies, plural, your bodies, as a living sacrifice, singular, one sacrifice together. Singular sacrifice. This is your true and proper act of worship. And then he said, Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Know that we are going to be continually renewed, continually growing in our understanding of God. And he says, Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. So I think he understands that we're going to get it wrong. We we have to understand that we're not always going to get it right. And it's okay, the constant renewal, all together, coming together to understand Scripture. Then we can see more clearly. Imagine what church history would have been like if men and women were sitting around the table. I mean, just think about it for a minute. Would the crusades have happened if there were women and men together gathered? I can't help but believe that it would have turned out a little different if we had the other, image, the other half of the image of God together. And we can't change the past, but we can repent and we can hope for a better future. Then he goes on in verse verse 3 through 5. He says, For by the grace given to me, I say to every one of you, do not think of yourself more highly than you ought, but rather think of yourself with sober judgment in accordance with the faith God has distributed to each of you. For just as each of us has one body with many members, and these members do not have all the same function, so in Christ we, though many, form one body, and each member belongs to all the others, We have different gifts according to the grace given each of us. We have gifts given by the Holy Spirit. It's up to the Holy Spirit, not based on our gender. And then he goes on, he says, If your gift is prophesying, then prophesy in accordance with your faith. If it's serving, then serve. If it's teaching, then teach. If it's to encourage, give encouragement. If it's giving, give generously. If it's to lead, do it diligently. Do it swiftly now. If it's to show mercy, do it cheerfully. Leadership in this lift, list of giftings is not gender-specific. It is just based on the Holy Spirit's design for you. And if it's true that leadership isn't specifically a male or a female quality, I, would, I wonder, and maybe you wonder, where is, are there examples of um, female of leadership? Does Jesus reference um, leadership in a a feminine way, or does Paul reference it? Well, um, yeah. So for uh, Jesus says in Matthew 23, 37, he says, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, you who kill the prophets and stone those who sent you, how often I have longed to gather your children together as a hen gathers her chicks under her wings, and you were not willing. His desire was to play mother hen, to him and then Paul um, doesn't use mother hen but he uses this image of like a nursing mom In first Thessalonians 2 7 through 8 he says "Um, instead we were like young children among you just as a nursing mother cares for her children so we cared for you because we loved you so much we were delighted to share with you not only the gospel of God but our lives as well this is the way he describes how he led them and how he loved them. And um, uh, one of the pastors at the meeting house, he says, you know, he didn't, he didn't say, like, um, he, he said, that, like, a nursing mom, he didn't go to, like, like this big, like, like a, uh, mama bear, like, try to, like, big she bear, like, coming in to, like, protect him. I thought <laughs> well, that was funny. I was like, that's true. He said, I, like, a nursing mother, like, brings the baby in to feed him. This tender view of it. I'm glad that churches and and uh, individuals and denominations have have come along, come around and looked at this and thought about ways that they might have gotten it wrong. That our interpretation um, was missing something. There are. Um, I believe there are people in this room today. Um, You're sitting here, and maybe you have experienced being marginalized. Maybe you've experienced being told that your uh, experience and your interpretation isn't valid. It doesn't matter. I pray that as we sit here, that this spirit might speak to you. That you find encouragement in the words of 1 Corinthians 15 through 16. It says, Now, if the foot should say, Because I am not a hand, I do not belong to the body, it would not for that reason stop being a part of the body. And if the ear should say, Because I am not an eye, I do not belong to the body, it would not for that reason stop being a part of the body. You belong. You belong here. You know we've missed the mark. We've missed the mark on, on women and men co-laboring together. And we've missed the mark with with um, racial issues and injustice. We've missed the mark in, in in separating the line between the haves and have-nots. And if you if you were in here today and you've been a part of that. Now is the time you can, you can uh, know that you belong here, that this is a place where you matter, your voice matters. And there are some of us in this room who've held power. We've held it for a really long time. And that we find encouragement in 1 Corinthians 12, 21 through 26. He says, the eye cannot say to the hand, I don't need you. And the head cannot say to the feet, I don't need you. On the contrary, those parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. And the parts that we think are less honorable, we treat with special honor. And the parts that are unpresentable are treated with special modesty. While our presentable parts need no special treatment, but God has put together, giving great honor to the parts that lacked it. So that there should be no division in the body, but that its parts should have equal concern for each other. If one part suffers, every part suffers with it. If one part is honored, every part rejoices with it. If we've ever been on that side where we've thought that we are more important than someone else, if we've ever been the one to marginalize another person, today is our chance. To enter into the experiences with our brothers and our, our sisters who've been marginalized, who, who've been hurt by the church, within the church, and outside of the church. For the times that we have, have succumbed to the culture rather than living into this countercultural way of the church. For the times where we have done that, whether intentionally or unintentionally, we repent and we say, I'm sorry. And I pray that we are a church, that we be a place that leans into the hurt and the pain of those around us, and that we say, we mourn with you, we rejoice with you, and we do that together in solidarity. Amen? Amen. I'm gonna ask our our band to come forward, and um, we're gonna close with a... uh, We're We're going to collect the offering and pray, but as they come forward, would you join me in prayer? Oh, God, we thank you for loving us and creating us. We thank you for men and women. We thank you for your design for us to be together as co-sources and co-laborers and co-creators. God, we thank you for the unique way that you have designed each and every one of us and gifted us to serve, um, to serve you, to serve one another. We thank you for the gift of your church. We thank you for Jesus to coming and model what it means to lay down our power, to lay down what we think we know so that others can be lifted up. Thank you for loving us so deeply, Thank you for forgiving us when we've messed up and we've gotten it wrong. I thank you for the brothers and sisters in this room. Thank you for giving us a space where we can wrestle with questions of faith and and what you've called us to. God, we thank you for your love and your grace and your mercies. And God, for those people in this room who have felt cast out and on the margins and that their voice doesn't matter, I pray that they know and feel deep within their heart and their soul that they have a place to belong here. Thank you for bringing us together. We love you in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen.